You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media at Council of DC. Uh, and I want to thank our guest today, Ward 4 Council Member Lewis George. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Josh. And I apologize uh, for the, to viewers and to you for the delay and technical difficulties. Uh, working from home, uh, still a year in, is, is, uh, can be an issue. Yep, <laughs> I I for, I'm the I'm I'm like uh, Council Member Gray. I forget that I'm on mute num a number of times. <laughs> yeah, it's it's we're all still we're all still rolling with it. Yeah. Um. Now my first question is the most basic question. Uh, in doing the research for this and watching some videos, I've seen your first name pronounced different ways, and I'm wondering what your what it was when you started out as a child, and if it's still the same now or if it's uh, evolved. Well, yeah, so there's an interesting story there, uh, which is uh, my parents are the ones who disagreed on this name, uh, disagreed on the pronunciation um, of the name. And so what's interesting is my mom calls me Janice um, and my dad calls me Janice. And so what happens is it's just a hilarious back and forth where some of my family's members are like Janice, Janice, and then some of my families are, some of my family members call me Janice. Uh, so there's really actually no wrong way to say it. You just choose whether you want to be on my mom's side or my dad's side in the, in the debate. Um, <laughs> Jeez, I'm not going there. I, professionally, I'm though, professionally I go by Jenny's. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause some people even were saying Johnny's in no, the, that, that's, that's not in the debate field. <laughs> that one's straight out. That one's straight out wrong. Now the other, the other naming question I had for you is. JLG, is that uh, frowned upon? Is that accepted? Is that uh, recommended and endorsed? Um, you know, it's. I think it started off as like a um, a few of my my friends saying, you know, let's just call you JLG for short because uh, that's a mouthful. And I was like, well, no, I think that would be too close and synonymous with like the AOC thing. Um, but now it, it's true. It does actually help people not have to say the mouthful of Janice Lewis George. So it's welcomed um, and, and people can use it. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. Uh, now in doing the, the re and I should back up a bit. Our first uh, hearing the council interview with each council member is always a biographical getting to know you. Uh, you know, hopefully trying to dig up a couple interesting uh, biographical details we can chat about. And then the subsequent interviews are all about policy. So, so some of this is going to seem a little obscure, but the idea is to let people get to know you uh, as a person before we dive into the, you know, hardcore public policy. Um, so in doing the background research for this, um, someone who really jumped out at me was your grandmother. Um, and it seemed like she showed up in the stories. Um, now, first of all, one thing that interested me was it seems like she she lived around 13th and T, I heard you mention. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you said in, in one interview, you'd go with her to the, the flea market. Yes. Now, I yes. remember that flea market. I went to uh -huh. that flea market. 
Um, now, I'm not sure how old you were when you went to the flea market, but were you, are you a flea market person or were you okay. just keeping your grandma company? No, no, I'm a flea market person. This blazer is from a flea market uh, sale. Um, and so- this, this shirt is vintage, so I'm right <laughs> there is, with you. It is, it is. Um, so I'm a vintage lover, but yeah, you know, my grandmother would always walk us around the corner to the flea market um, and we would go shopping for anything and, and we'd be, always be able to pick out one thing. Um, and so that was always just a fun thing we did. And then the, the flea, we go to the flea market and then we go to Ben's Chili Bowl, um, mm -hmm. which is right up the street, uh, you know, right there near the flea market. And we'd always get um, a half smoke from Ben's Chili Bowl. And then I would say, Grandma, can we get ice cream right after? Because that market is still there on the corner of 13th and T Street, that corner market. Um, and I always wanted to get an ice cream sandwich, the Neapolitan with the uh, ice cream sandwich. And grandma said, well, you just had chili. So let's wait a little bit before you get ice cream. And I always would be like, okay, how many hours do I have to <laughs> wait after I eat chili to get a Neapolitan ice cream? <laughs> right. It's like you're not allowed to swim an hour after eating and you got to wait X time after your, your half smoke before you can have your, uh, exactly. your chalk van straw uh, ice cream. Yeah. Um, and so were you, have you always been in the vintage clothing uh, category or for your item, did you get uh, different stuff, toys sometimes or at the same time? Yeah, I love, I just love, I've always loved just vintage shopping. Um, I like, um, you know, some of the leaders who inspire me the most, right, are, you know, civil rights leaders, you know, Shirley Chisholm, you know, even we talk about leader, you know, journalists like Ida B. Wells, they were always dressed like really, and when you look at like the civil rights marches, you know, sometimes when I go to marches, people are like, why are you so dressed up? I'm like, if you look at the march photos, right? Uh, Coretta Scott King was, you know, dressed up, you know? And so I've always just been into uh, to, to the vintage look um, and, and sort of the style uh, of the 1960s and 70s. And so, you know, you go into a, a, any of our vintage shops uh, here in the district, um, even like some of the non-vintage shops, right? I go to the, um, on Georgia Avenue, we have a thrift store uh, that is people, everyone loves and knows to go to. And I, I get a, a number of items from there. Sometimes I travel all the way out to Langley Park to Value Village and they have some great, uh, great finds and you can get some really nice suits. Um, I, I love a good, a good suit. And so, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll catch up offline because I got some other, uh, awesome. I, I County. Um, and I have a couple of go-tos out there that, that I think we like. But um, and the other thing, speaking of the, the civil rights uh, marches, what's fascinating to me is the attendees. Now, not just the speakers, not just people on stage. Mm -hmm. Attendees were dressed to the mind. Oh, yeah. And everything are, are just out of control. Um, so so uh, sticking with your grandmother for a bit. So she was, um, a, the, this is your term, I think it's a, I think it's a great term, lunch lady. Yes. And uh, so was she a great cook just in general? Yeah, she was. She was, she was a great cook um, in, in general, but she was always super, my grandma was always super like healthy, balanced uh, meals. So when we were younger, we would get, you know, in the morning, she was like, oh no, before you were going to eat this banana. And, and then she wanted to make sure you hit all of the, what is it, the nutrition groups. 
Yeah. Um, so in many ways, she was a stickler too, <laughs> um, into making sure that like each of your meals were balanced, um, which which sometimes as a, as a young person was like frustrating. But as I got older, I realized the benefit of it. So she was a great cook, but she also was like a super health stickler in a lot of ways. And, and back in the day, they were doing all the cooking from scratch. In the oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. so Absolutely. So she knew all the principles of, of, of um, deal. Uh, you know, I had Mr. Moss um, and then there were before Mr. Moss, the principal, uh, oh, I'm going to blank on his name. Um, but yeah, she, she, you know, knew what kind of meals they really liked and what they, you know, um, you know, what, what was a good meal and, and what the students really loved as far as, you know, what day it was. And yeah. And did the, the school recipes come home or did the home recipes go to school or were they just two separate worlds? Uh, I think the home, I think uh, the home recipes went to school actually <laughs> um, uh, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I would have loved that. <laughs> um, and, the, and so the, one of the key connections again for your grandmother is that when a uh, time came for you to get to middle school, mm -hmm. your grandma, and what'd you call your grandmother? Grandma. <laughs> grandma okay I just every you yeah. know sometimes people have different families I know, I know they're the new cool mom grandmas who like me ma and other names my grandma was straightforward just grandma yeah. <laughs> I mine too um but she when it was time for you to go to middle school she got involved in that process mm -hmm. to make sure you uh, ended up where you ended up can you talk a bit about that where you ended up and and, and how she got involved yeah. So, um, and by the way, I'm I'm the youngest of siblings. So I'm I'm the youngest of uh of, of five total. So my two older siblings went to to deal uh, before me. My brother's three years older than me, so he was right right before me. Okay. Um, so my grandmother, you know, we knew sort of how that process went. You know, um, how you put your name in uh, for to, for the special permission and to go in uh, to deal. And, you know, she'd been there a number of years and she said, you know, just, she just sort of understood that it, it's not even just, you know, going over there. It's, it's the access to opportunity, but also the exposure um, that really just makes a difference um, in the in trajectory of, of our lives. And, you know, you know, many of, you know, we wanted to stay, I went to Rudolph. So I wanted to go at the time, our, our feeder school was Paul. Um, at the time, Paul, Paul, and I wanted to stay with my friends. Um, and my grandma said, no, you know, you, you're going to deal. Your brother went to deal. Um, and, you know, and I just couldn't understand why, like, well, what's the difference? School is school. And, you know, it wasn't until going there for the first time and, you know, really experiencing getting on that bus and, and traveling over and just being like, oh my God, this is a, this is a different world. You know, when you're on the bus for the first time, you, um, you know, when I remember crossing Military Road and just being like, am I still in D.C.? Um, and not even realizing that I'm, I'm still in D.C., um, which was which was also crazy in these big, these huge homes and everything. Your kid, you're, as a kid, your eyes just light up. And um, and then it was just so much exposure just to just different cultures. Uh, you know, at my school at Rudolph was predominantly was a predominantly uh, black school. Um, and then at Deal, we had so many different cultures represented. You know, we had embassy kids. We, you know, we had such a great mix of diversity, I will say. Just diversity, not only in, in race and religion, but also socioeconomic status. We were coming from all over the city. Um, 
and meeting each other for the first time. And it was just an amazing experience for many of us. Um, and I think that's what adds to the beauty of, of the school was that we, we got yeah. to experience all of each other's, you know, uh, different cultures. I mean, we're talking quinceañeras, bar mitzvahs, cotillions. We really immersed ourselves in each other's families and cultures. Um, and it made a huge difference um, in, in our outcome that we didn't know was gonna happen, you know, that later on in life, we knew how to respect and understand others' cultural differences in a way that I think um, really helps us as we as we went into the real world, as people would call it. Yeah, in one of the interviews you were giving about that uh, decision to go to Deal, you were talking about how you were thrilled to have books that weren't missing pages. Yeah, and that just broke my heart. I mean, I did. That sounded like it came from a maybe a specific memory or something where. It was mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, when when I we were at Rudolph, we had a number a number of issues happen. One is we we had a we had books that were missing pages, and so we always had to share books. Um, and sometimes we had to do you had to try to get your homework done at home because we didn't. So then our teachers would have to make copies of certain pages of books that they were missing um, books. So that was a huge issue, like throughout the process. I mean, we went. I remember, you know, we we went like a couple of months. Our air conditioner wasn't working in 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 the, well in the fall. The the air uh, the heat wasn't working, and we you know went through this whole issue of having space heaters in our classrooms, um, but still being cold traveling the hallways. So we had to wear our coats, and usually we take it off. And then we went through a period of time, and as soon as we got through that, the summer came, and it was the total opposite, right? Our air our air our air conditioners weren't working, and so then we were trying to find ways to get our air conditioners to to work, and you know. You know, I remember we had that same issue happen at Deal, but the difference is like we had a PTA, uh, a strong PTA at Deal where, we, you know, air conditioners, we can get it. But at Rudolph, I mean, all of our, you know, uh, you know, our parents are working class families and, and we didn't have really the resources to do that. So, you know, we went a couple of months without having, you know, um, the proper uh, heat uh, and then the proper air for our school. So it just always felt like you know, it was always something. And, and I didn't know that it wasn't normal. Here's the thing. You just don't know that that like that's not normal. And so you go to another school and you're like, oh, oh, wow. No one's sharing books. I get my own book. <laughs> We're not, you know, you're like, wow, this is fascinating. Um, so you just don't realize it. So, you know, so, so you experience it and uh, you're like, wow, this is a huge difference. And you start to see, I feel like I realized at the age of 11, you know, it was this realization that, you know, yeah, I, I see what grandma was saying about access, opportunity, resources. Um, it, it just was a huge, huge difference. Yeah. Uh, now, it seems like you, your uh, activist days uh, started early, you know, when you were at Deal and then on to School Without Walls. And um, so I jotted these down from the, from the, the watching interviews with you, uh, Metro Teenage, peer mentor, YMCA youth mayor, mm -hmm. uh, student rep on the Board of Education. Yeah. Uh, talk about where that uh, passion to get involved, even at that age, came from, and uh, and uh, maybe a little bit about a couple anecdotes from, from that, that time. Yeah, I mean, it, that go, it all goes back to my experience, the first question you asked about deal, right? I mean, I'm at 11 years old realizing, wait a minute, there is a complete difference here in access and opportunity. And it's based on, you know, at the time it was based on factors of like where you live or where your parents worked or what your parents did. 
And, um, and, and the reality is that, you know, so I was, I was excelling, going well in education, but, you know, I had peers who I went to school with at Rudolph, who I just saw start to go in a different direction. Um, and then some went in different directions and some didn't have the same opportunities that I, that I had. Um, and so I'm going home every day to, I'm going, going to a school every day where I feel safe and protected um, and cared for and, and resourced well uh, to getting back on the bus and going home to a space where I don't feel safe, I don't feel protected, I don't feel we have resources. Um, and so it was really at a young age where I was like, something is wrong about this. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to name it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to name it. I'm going to start talking about it. Um, and really, you know, a lot of my teachers, you know, sort of were like, yeah, you're right. You should name it. You should, you should talk about it. Um, that should be something you speak of. You know, one of my, my history teachers at Deal actually like lived right across the street from me, uh, you know, and said, you know, I, I, you have this voice. Why don't you use it? Um, why don't you talk about some of these things? And so that's sort of how I, I got involved and just said, I just want to name what I'm seeing um, uh, and, and, and wonder if everybody else is seeing what I'm seeing as a young person. Uh, and that, that's how that, 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 that happened. Um, and the more that I spoke up and the more I got involved, sort of the more, you know, activities people suggested, you know, YMCA Youth and Government, you know, came to uh, our school at School Without Walls and said, you know, we're looking for some people to, to you know, do some legislative look at the government and how it works you know you should you should do it and my teacher's like yeah absolutely so I ended up doing uh YMCA youth in government and that took me to you know we we had like a it was a national network so we had to go to was it the conference on national affairs where um and then I realized when I got there that everybody else had a youth governor and then we only had a youth mayor so right this is me statehood is coming oh, yeah. Statehood is impacting me now as a young person. I'm like, wait, why? Why am I the youth? Why am I only the youth mayor? Why? Why am I? Why am I not the youth governor? Right? And uh, and so so all the issues, you know, statehood start to come up, and we were debating issues, you know, uh, at the conference on national affairs and um, and all those issues, and uh, you know, the school board piece uh, was a particularly interesting. I think the school board when I when I served on the school board, you remember I was there with. The president was Peggy Cooper Kayfritz of the school board. The superintendent was Dr. Janey. Um, we had William Lockridge from Ward 8. Uh, Tommy Wells uh, was on the board, Victor Reynoso. I remember all our school board members because we had a really good relationship, you know, and, um, and those were also some really great leaders with all different personalities. So it was fun to sit on the school board uh, with, with some of the most, I think, dynamic leaders uh, we've seen in, in our city. Um, and they always, even though I didn't have a vote, right, they always said, well, they always came to me. They always made a point to come to me and say, hey, I know you don't have a vote, but what's your stance? What's, what's the youth stance on this? Um, and it, it, it just made a huge difference that they always were willing to listen to what the youth response was and also allowed me to really key in on the debate. I raised my hand and was like, okay, School board member, what, what do you have to say? Um, and, and give some real perspective from the student perspective. So that was that was great. And am I remembering correct, correctly that that position does not exist anymore? The student well, member of the school board, or does well, it? Well, it does. It still exists now, but under the school board of education. So I think Alexis is uh, the school board member now for okay. state board of education. It was, it's just a different entity, right? I state, that's the state board of education. This was pre-mayoral control. 
Right. Um, it's actually the year before mayoral control of education happened. So that's, um, but, it, but that position still exists in, in the way of its function. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and something else that you did that I was super impressed by was uh, you spoke at the, um, the Millions More uh, movement. Yeah. Uh, 10 years on after the Million Man March, uh, yeah. October of uh, 2005. Um, and I, I pulled out this one quote, um, which I thought was really uh, good. Uh, you, were you were standing literally right at the foot of the Capitol and saying, uh, but behind these walls, the residents are facing gentrification within our own city, ignored poverty, poor public school education, uh, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to say, you're staying on message. I mean, yeah, that, no, I... <laughs> that, that could have come from a speech, you know, uh, before the council right now. So absolutely. we were on point back then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, many of the things that I talked about when I was younger, I had no idea that they would still, we would still be debating these issues, that these would be still be the center of, of, of discussion and debate here. And sort of some of it we just saw coming. We knew, we knew that it was going to happen because we were experiencing it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, someone was like, you know, I, when I was youth mayor, we did the state of the city address. As youth mayor, you have to give the state of the city. And my state of the city address was focusing on, I talked about my grandmother and I said, you know, I wanna make sure that my grandmother can live here and stay here. And that, you know, anything that happens in the city, you know, honors the, her life, her legacy, right? Um, and so I still still feel those same way, that same way today, yeah. Uh, and also from that same time, there was another quote that I thought was particularly interesting. There was a post a profile um, and it uh, quoted you saying, um, you're, you're talking to other youth and you're saying, when you see city council members, don't let them just shake your hand, ask them what they'll do uh, if you or your parents vote for them. Ask your parents who they're gonna vote for or if they're even going to vote. Yeah. Now you're the council member. Yeah. So are you having those kind of interactions? Are you having youth who are uh, holding your feet to the fire and, um, you know, directly and closely involved in what you're doing? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, one one student in particular, uh, Lyric, uh, Lyric Johnson, who was one of the leaders of the Washington Met uh, fight, right? The um, final Washington Met. Uh, I really had a, such a special place in my heart for the Washington Met students when that debate, when that fight was going on. Um, I just saw them like, you know, going to the Wilson building and I was like, yes, I'm so proud of them. So I went over to Washington Met um, and, and had a conversation with them about how important it was what they were doing. Um, and then after the vote happened, I knew that they were probably, you know, disappointed and hurt and felt like, oh, I did all this advocacy and we didn't get the result. And so I wanted to go there and I had the uh, opportunity with their, their school counselor, Brian Wheeler, to go to them and say, listen, every time you raise your voice, it makes a difference. It, you know, you, this, is a, this is a fight that's long and hard. And when you're, you know, I didn't want them to experience, you know, apathy at a young age. I wanted them to know that we people, they, they they had an impact and they will always have an impact. Um, and so I encourage more youth to, to do that work. And so we, every time we see that, that, you know, young people getting out there and fighting, it was important. I remember when the Banneker 
uh, fight was happening, the Banneker students going down DC Council. And I'm like, yeah, there y'all go. There you go. Use your voice. Use your voice. Um, so I always encourage young people to, to fight. You know, the, the young students at Wilson are fighting for their librarian. And I'm just delighted. I'm like, yeah, they, they're flooding my email boxes. And I'm like, I welcome it. Um, look, you know, it, it's a powerful thing when students start standing up for their, you know, their educators and standing up for their administrators, right? Absolutely. So you think you're living up to your your own standards uh, that you were going to hold council members to in 2006? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's scoot a little bit forward uh, in the time frame. And um, uh, so when you were going through law school, and I couldn't believe this wasn't in any of the articles, and it couldn't be less important, but I still just want to know when you were putting yourself through uh, Howard University Law School. Mm -hmm. uh, the articles all say you were working at two jobs mm -hmm. and you were waitressing. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering where you were waitressing. I waitress at Fire Station Restaurant in Silver Springs. It was right over that, right over the border. It's a former uh, fire station house. Um, and so I, I was a waitress there. They have just side note, they have some of the best Old Bay wings uh, and a great, a great, a great lobster. <laughs> <laughs> a lobster crab dip um but yeah that was my that was my job as a waitress and then i also was a sales clerk uh at nordstrom rack which is like right the law our howard law school is not at the main campus it's it's actually uh near in van ness um area so right. i got a job at, as a sales clerk at that nordstrom rack it was an easy you know back and forth to and from school uh so yeah and man managing uh, two simultaneous jobs and law school is probably good practice for the uh, pace the council keeps you going. Absolutely, you know, I always, I, I always say, you know, everyone just looks at like the legal jobs. Oh, you were a lawyer and you did this, and I'm like, well, you know, the most helpful <laughs> work was the my waitressing and my Nordstrom rack job. You know, um, you get constituents and they call and they're upset and they're angry and, and rightfully so because government should be working and um, things should be going well. And so there's no better training than being being a server uh, or, or being a customer service. I worked at the register. I wasn't just like in the store at Nordstrom. And when people want to return clothes, when they're unhappy, they don't have a receipt. You know, it's some tough conversations to have with individuals and when the store changes policies and, you know, it used, we used to take returns, but now we don't take returns uh, right. on certain items. So, yeah, a lot of, you know, the the people skills, the customer service skills, you know, um, communicating communication skills, all of that comes from from my work in, in the service industry. Yeah, no, that I, I was guessing that might be the case. Um, so yeah. I'm glad there is there's yeah it's all constituent service it's all transactional i mean in a in a i mean that in a positive way you know folks are coming to you and they want an alley paved or oh yeah removed dead tree removed or whatever like it's similar to someone coming in with the gripe to you know with the restaurant or or mm -hmm. my food wasn't cooked right i asked you this you know and it doesn't matter that you know it's the chef who cooked the food. You can't say, oh, well, it's the executive who, who is responsible for that. It doesn't matter. The chef cooked the food. You're the face of, of, of the restaurant, the face of the food. Why isn't it the way I asked it to be? And, and how are you going to fix it? And how are you going to work that out? So it's absolutely, um, it, it's, 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 it's the same, take the same skill. I always thought it was funny when people in interviews would say things like, you know, tell me about a time where you had to think quickly on your feet. <laughs> Oh, okay, sure. 
Um, now back back to grandma quickly, because um, it turns out that grandma had an interesting neighbor um, on 13th and T, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, it's someone who might have uh, been a, an employer of yours subsequently. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Attorney General, call Racine. Yeah, I mean, I'm yes. telling you, grandma's the string that holds it all together. Um, yes, my, my siblings and I talk about all this because grandma literally, she had, she thought of things before we thought of things, honestly, in, in, in very real ways and made us do a number of things we later on in life were like, thank God she did that. We had to write, we had to practice writing checks out. Grandma said, my, my grandkids are going to know how to write checks. Um, she made us like go to swimming lessons at the Anthony Bowen. Like it was all these things that we had to do that we were nitpicky. But yeah, grandma was, she's the string that held, held it all. For sure. <laughs> yeah, because I saw in, in uh, his endorsement message for you, uh, Carl was seen, talked about knowing you almost his whole life because of you know, living close to your grandma. So uh, I thought that was really, that was a, an angle I didn't know about and I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was really cool just sort of, sort of how uh, um, Carl and I knew different individuals. One was uh, my grandmother, which apparently I didn't know that the attorney general had moved in, you know, you know, moved next door to my grandmother at the time. And, and she didn't, she never like mentioned it, but apparently, you know, my grandmother loves gardening, by the way. So she has a little garden in the front of her house on 13th and T street. And, um, you know, so she's always out there is always talking and people knew her. She was, she was pretty, um, a, a friendly neighbor. And I guess she would always talk to Carl about, you know, my, you know, my grand, my, my granddaughter is a lawyer, you know, she a good lawyer too. I'm like, grandma, you don't know if I'm a good lawyer. <laughs> um, and at the time I was working at the Philadelphia district attorney's office. So I was in Philly as a DA and grandma was basically saying, look, my, 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 uh, I know you're a good attorney, uh, Mr. Attorney General, but my granddaughter, I think she's the best. <laughs> Um, and so it wasn't until when uh, my grandmother uh, got sick and, and um, ill, uh, it was it was really um, after the, you know, uh, when, when she got sick that, you know, Carl, uh, I, I first met the attorney general as just the neighbor next door who was offering any support or help that he could give to help my, my grandmother and, and all those things, which was um, which was awesome. And so we, he, he was a great neighbor uh great to my grandmother and, and and spoke at her funeral which was really um touching and then and the other the other connect point there was um a, a professor of mine tamar meekins uh and my howard law criminal criminal law professor uh and he she was carl's mentor at uva law school so when carl was a a 1l she was the 3l um and, and my tamar you know professor meekins is, is a it was a fierce litigator. She worked at the Public Defender Service, uh, and she uh, she said Carl followed her to the Public Defender's Office. Apparently, uh, so the story goes. Um, and and Professor Meekins actually was uh, the deputy of public uh, of public safety at the Attorney General's Office, and I, I didn't know. So when I went for I'm at the third round of interviews, and you know they're like the next person you go to is you know, is, is the deputy of, of the public safety division. So I'm nervous, I go into, and I walk into the, the interview and I'm like, Professor Meekins? <laughs> and she's like, hey, Miss Lewis, how are you? Um, and it was just hilarious to see my professor. And this is like a professor where I cried in her office. You don't cry in every professor's office, but I cried in her office one all year. Like, I'm just not understanding actress <laughs> Reyes, mens rea. Um, and I end up, you know, uh, getting 
getting the Amger, Amgering the class, which is like the, when you, at the final, you get the highest grade. So I ended up getting the highest grade. And I, um, cause by the time I finished crying in her office every day, I had sort of learned like, okay, this is how I need to write this uh, final essay. <laughs> um, and, uh, so it, it was just a, a coincidence and literally six months uh, into, you know, I got hired in six months into me getting hired. I had no idea when she interviewed me that she was battling with, um, with the stomach, stomach cancer. Um, and so she, we, she, she unfortunately passed away, you know, while I was serving as an attorney general. And it was just interesting because she was a mentor to me and a mentor Carl at different points in our lives, but it had such a, such a strong impact. Um, and she was just really a phenomenal litigator, one of the best uh, in this world, for sure. Yep. Some folks who are mentors tend to be serial mentors. Yes. You know, it, it, they, they tend to, yeah. Yeah. Even now with uh, uh, the president of Washington teachers, you and Elizabeth Davis, so many stories are coming out. And I thought, you know, Elizabeth Davis is a mentor to me. And then I hear so many other stories. And she was that same mentor to so many other young, um, young women. Um, now, talk to me, when, during your time in, in Carl Racine's office, you were a prosecutor, mm -hmm. but you are a well-known progressive, mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of, uh, you know, Twitter trolls or whatever would say, how can you be progressive and a prosecutor? How does that fit together? Mm -hmm. um, is that a contradiction in terms, or is that kind of a perfect pair to have those two uh, mindsets simultaneously? Yeah, that's interesting because um, speaking of, of Professor, my Professor Meekins, uh, the first thing she said to me when I went into that interview, and it ties back to this is, so how's your theory going? So at Howard Law School, as you know, Howard Law School is, you know, speaking of like civil rights activists and, you know, Charles Sam's Houston, Thurgood Marshall. And one of the biggest debates in our law school around criminal justice is, should you be a prosecutor? Should you be a public defender? You know, once people know you're, you're a litigator, you sort of have to choose which route you go. And most of our professors uh, are public defenders and the number of our professors were former prosecutors. And so, you know, I had two professors on both, both sides of this. Um, and I took on the stance uh, in law school, you know, after doing, you know, mock trial and everything that like the prosecutor has a, a lot of, a lot of power, right? So we went in, we observed courtrooms and I would observe, you know, some of my professors uh, who were the fiercest public defenders, um, you know, lose, uh, arg lose a case, you know, lose an argument, even though they had the most well thought out argument um, and, 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 and was absolutely right. Uh, and then I would see prosecutors make an argument and, and it would be like the most effective thing ever and they would, they would do it. So I came up with, you know, I said, you know, in law school, I said, you know, I think, you know, we got to get some more people as prosecutors and not just public defenders, right? I think change has to happen from the inside out, not the outside in or, or at least simultaneously. We can't just leave you know, be on the outside fighting and then leaving, you know, all the power to the inside to hear our, hear our argument. So uh, it was interesting uh, when Professor Meekins asked me that question, how's your theory going? But she was under the theory that I should be a public defender, uh, for sure. Um, and I said, well, you know, I'm learning some things about my opinion. And one is that, yes, we have to be inside of, of, of as prosecutors in the inside, but not you know, as, as, a, as a naive young law student to myself, I didn't think, yeah, and what, what happens also when the powers on the inside of those offices reflect the same power, the same problems that are, are existing outside on the outside, right? So 
you as a young prosecutor telling your supervisors, hey, I don't think we should prosecute this case. I don't think this is the right way to go. How much power can you wield in an office that will suppress that, right? So you have to be under actually, all the things have to be in your favor. You have to have leadership who is on the same page as you. And so uh, when I got to uh, the attorney general's office, I saw that as a welcome opportunity to be able to see, does this theory work in practice? Can we make a difference on the inside and work on the outside? And, you know, I think my answer that it, to that is still yes. Um, uh, and, and that is, it, it, is, it is absolutely uh, necessary on the, on, the, on the same token for us to have uh, the same power, willpower within the inside and also influence the outside until our criminal justice system uh, is working in, in the way that it, it, it should, uh, we absolutely have to be there. So were we able to make a huge impact? Absolutely. So many cases uh, in the power of, of discretion. Like, is, it, is this a case we need to charge? Is this a young person uh, who we, we can save and not put into this cycle of the criminal justice system? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, um, I, w I welcome it. whenever whenever there's any like negativity or about it. I always am like, look, let me tell you how this looks in practice and works in practice. Um, if I dismiss a case before it gets to a judge because I already see that this things were unconstitutional, it's way more powerful than uh, us leaving it up to a judge to deny or or a motion to suppress or grant a motion to suppress. It doesn't even get to the point of that, um, and that thing and I think that makes a huge difference. I know it does. Um, we're unfortunately starting to run a little short on time. Oh, I have two sorry. last questions. No, it's good. It's good. I don't want to hold you up. Um, but two last questions. One is I love to compare in my head what may, looking across history, what makes a perfect council member? Because you have your former staffers, you have your former ANC commissioners, um, and now you have a you know a core group of former Carl Racine uh, staffers. What, what is your argument for uh, what, and you, and you spoke a bit to this already, to what would make a former, uh, someone who worked in the attorney general's office, uh, better wired to be a council member uh, than former council staff work or, or ANC work? <laughs> oh, that's a hilarious question. Um, look, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know that, um, you know, a former attorney general is, is necessarily, you know, better apt than, you know, other, other coming from other offices. I, I will say, you know, coming from the attorney general's office, you, you get so many great perspectives um, because you, you touch all of the city in your work. Um, and you also work with so many different agencies that are supposed to be delivering services to people. Um, and so you get a real sense of, of how, uh, not only of how government works, but how government isn't working um, because of the nature of being at the in, in, within the attorney general's office. Um, and I think that's really, you know, a, a helpful insight in, into into that. I mean, you're in an office with 300 other attorneys. And so when it comes to like weighing issues and, and debating, it's like we thrive off that. We enjoy the idea of thinking we one of us has the better argument or who has the, be the better argument. And that was one of the best parts of the attorney general's office, the, the idea that we could feed off each other and, and bounce ideas off each other um, in, in a very real way. Um, and, and I think that was key. And, and you know, it was just a, a well, well, I would say well-run uh, office. And there were so many ways you could 
touching different issues. So, you know, we always could do, you know, get a chance and opportunity to go to the housing justice committee, uh, uh, you know, um, a part of the office, our commercial, you know, our commercial litigation unit was like fierce, you know, and, and we had no problem letting others like touch in and, and see what's happening in other spaces. Um, so you really got an ability to hop around and get varied skills and, and varied expertise. Um, but I, what I will say is that I think all of us, you know, uh, the attorney general's office, you know, it's just happenstance that like, it, it is, it really is happenstance that I come out of the attorney general's office and run for office. Cause really the root of me running for office, I don't, I don't know that Carl knew all who of, of who I was and all, all my past. He really didn't honestly. Um, but you know, all of mine was really rooted of my experience as a, as a, as a native Washingtonian and, and sort of what we, I have experienced and what we've been experiencing, you know, over the, over the last couple of, uh, of decades here in, in the district. And my, and my trivia question that you probably already know this, but Ward 4 is the only council seat that since the beginning of home rule has only been held by native Washingtonians. Wow. <laughs> some, some in, some not, but every single Ward 4 council member yeah. has always been a native Washingtonian. That's, that's kind of cool. That's really cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so the last question, this is how we always end our first round interview, is um, I want you to look at this list of desserts, and I want you to rank them from most favorite to least favorite. I've yeah. done this with every council member. I have a spreadsheet, and it tells us something. We're not quite sure what, but it tells us something. So. Okay. Easy peasy here. One, ice cream. You heard that in the beginning with my grandma's story. I've been loving ice cream for a long time. I also love seeking out different like ice cream. So there's, I'll, I'll keep going. So ice cream is definitely number one for me. Um, after ice cream, I'm going to go with cookies. I love, I love, I love different cookies. And, you know, I'll do the debate with you over who has the best cookies later. Uh, so cookies is second place. Um, after cookies, I'm going to go to pie. Uh, I love an apple pie, a blueberry pie, a peach cobbler. I just sweet potato pie. I'm a pie. Yeah. And my family's good at cooking all of these, by the way. Um, I, maybe you'll, I'll get you some blueberry pie one day, <laughs> a, cobbler, a blueberry cobbler. And then we're going to go, we're going to go to cake, uh, after that. Um, and then candy. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to, I don't think I can do it in real time, but yeah, I'm looking quickly and I don't think I see anybody else with the exact same ranking as you, but if I figure it out, I will let you know. <laughs> Coalition. Awesome. So um, anyway, we are unfortunately out of time. I'm very grateful to you for uh, taking the time out of your, uh, your busy, uh, stressful day to, to do something hopefully a little fun. Um, and like I said, you're welcome back whenever you want. All the future interviews will be policy driven. So uh, whatever topics you uh, have, you know, have trouble getting them to spend a half hour on on mainstream radio, we can tackle them here. So you're welcome back uh, whenever you'd you like. And we'll compare notes offline on ice cream. And, I, would, I, I would like to know. <laughs> For sure. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you again so much, council member, and uh, thank you listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search under Hearing the Council. Thanks again for joining us. Tune in next time. We're on DC Radio at 96.3 on your FM HD4 dial 
or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council. Thanks so much. Take care, council member. Bye-bye. Hey.